we are going to be thinking in particular about God's holiness. What does it mean for God to be holy? Is this on? It is. Isaiah's world was a scary place. Isaiah was a prophet who's going to have to go to the people of God and tell them bad news. It's a scary world and judgment is coming. And maybe you're a young person here, if you describe yourself as a young person, and you think the world's a bit scary. There's lots of horrible things on, aren't there? But as we get older, we come to realize that the world is even more scary than that. Isn't it? Isn't it a scary world? Yes. This is a weird place in the world where it's safe. There are many places where it's not safe. But what did Isaiah need? What do we need in a world that is very scary? We need to see God. We need to see God who is great and good. And that is what we're going to spend time today doing, getting this bigger vision of God. That's right. So Isaiah needed a vision of God. And that is exactly what we see and read about in Isaiah chapter 6. And I think the uh, verse is going to come up on the screen. Here we go. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I, that is Isaiah, I saw the Lord. And what did he look like? He looked high and exalted, seated on a throne. Wow, what a vision of God. But that's not all. Because we see, if we can have the next slide, that he is absolutely massive in Isaiah's vision. It says the tra- oh, sorry, can we go back one? The train of his robe filled the temple. That's like the hem at the edge of his robe filled the entirety of the temple. That's how huge and massive and awesome this vision is that Isaiah has of God. But that's not the only thing that Isaiah sees because God isn't the only person he sees. Above him were seraphim, these amazing angels. And each had six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. What an awesome sight that must have been for Isaiah to see. But look at what the seraphim were saying. And this is really at the heart of Isaiah's vision. They were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. In a scary world, what Isaiah needed was a vision of God. And at the heart of that vision is this pronouncement that God is holy, holy, holy. But what does that mean? What is holy? It's a funny word, isn't it? We kind of only use it in church. It's in the Bible. We actually, we have that verse back on the screen. There's a clue here in these verses as to what holiness is. Have a look. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And what's the result of God's holiness? What, can someone tell me, what's the result? That God is holy, holy. What happens because he is holy? Does anyone know? You see it at the bottom? You know, shout out. Shout. Glory. Yes, that's exactly right. Do you see holiness is linked to glory? Because God is holy, the whole earth is full of his glory. Glory is a wow or a whoa. When you see something amazing, you're seeing its glory. And here the angels show us that God's holiness means that he is glorious. God's holiness, in other words, is his godness, his wowness. 
Now we see God's glory in all sorts of ways, don't we? We read here, the whole earth is full of his glory. And we see that in the big things, and we see that in the small things. Now what I want you to do, if you don't mind, okay, if you're not embarrassed by doing this thing, if you are, don't worry, you don't have to. No one's going to make you. But why don't you just get your finger for me for a second, okay? Everyone get their finger. Have a look at your finger. Now take your finger and just rub the edge of the chair that you're sitting on. Can you feel that? Okay, now take that same finger and rub the back of your hand. Can you feel how different they are? Okay. You can feel that difference in texture with your fingers. Okay, now take that same finger and breathe on it like this. This looks really funny from up here. Can you feel the change in temperature? You don't even need to actually press anything. You can feel the change in temperature as you breathe on your finger. Isn't that amazing? Not only that, you can feel differences in like pressure if you stroke your face just very gently. Can you feel that? And yet if you press really hard into the chair, you can feel the difference. You can feel all of those different things through the end of your finger. Okay, now look at your finger. You see that pattern on your finger. It's absolutely unique. No other finger in the world has a pattern like that. If you compare it to one of your other fingers, you'll see it's different. If you compare it to the person next to you, different, unique, just for you in that finger. And your fingers can do incredible things. Maybe you can type really fast. Maybe you can write. Maybe you can play an instrument. Maybe you can even speak to other people using your fingers. Our fingers are amazing, aren't they? Yes, they are. And in what an amazing God God must be to make us to have fingers like that and that is one tiny part of tiny you and yet the whole earth is filled with God's glory that's just God's glory shown in your fingertips what about the whole earth what's big well who here went to the seaside this summer anyone go to the seaside okay did anyone go into the sea a little bit oh yeah some people went into the sea it what was it like when you went in? It was, well, it was wet, wasn't it? Maybe it was cold, maybe it was not so cold. When you went into your ankles, were you frightened? Probably not, unless you really hate the idea of fish, like some people I know. But on the whole, you're not frightened. But as you get a bit deeper, as it gets up to your waist, well, you start thinking, it's, it's, I'm not so safe anymore, am I? It's a big sea. What if you went up to your neck? What if you then went so deep you couldn't touch the floor anymore? What if you went so far out that you realized, I can't really see the people on the shoreline anymore? The sea is massive. And when we go really deep, we feel very small. We feel maybe out of control. The sea is scary, not because it's bad, but because it's big, because it's glorious. And just think about that. When you're on the beach, you're on one tiny bit of the ocean, an ocean which covers the whole world. Just one tiny bit that you are experiencing, overwhelming you. And that is what God is like. His glory is so great, the whole world over points to him, the God who is holy and lifted up. Well, Isaiah needed that vision of God, didn't he, to cope with a scary world, a God who is great, a God who is good, a God who is holy, holy, holy. And one of the ways that we see his greatness and his holiness is in the glory of everything that he has made, from our fingers to the vast oceans. And we're going to sing about that now. The band are going to come up and we're going to sing a song.
that points us to the fact that we see all of God's... Well, we're thinking about God's holiness, aren't we? And we've already seen that what Isaiah needs in a scary world is a big vision of the God who is holy, holy, holy. The question is, how would you expect Isaiah to respond to that vision? Maybe you'd expect him to think, oh, great, sorted. God is great. God is good. He is holy, holy, holy. And in this scary world, I've got nothing to worry about at all. But is that how he responds? Well, let's have a look, shall we, and see at what uh, the passage says next. He says, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. Woe to me. That's a sad thing, isn't it? Now, why on earth does he say that? What's the problem? Well, it goes on to say, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. You see, whilst God is holy, Isaiah knows he isn't. And that is a big problem. In what way were the people unclean? Isaiah said his lips were unclean. He'd done something wrong, and the people had done something wrong. What was it? Well, in the beginning of our series in Isaiah, (coughs) we were looking in Isaiah chapter 1, and we saw that the people said one thing, but did another. Do you hear that difference? Saying one thing, but doing another thing. What they said was, we love God. They would come to church. They would have festivals and feasts all about God. They would pray like this. That's what they said, that they loved God. But what they did was very different. Their lives, they crushed people. They crushed people. Isaiah says God told them that they were orphans, people who had lost their parents. And instead of caring for those people, for those children, Israel ignored them, just ignored them. Not my problem. Isaiah talked about widows, people whose husbands had died, and and back then that was really bad news because for lots of reasons, including that they couldn't provide for themselves. They had very little money. And the people of Israel, instead of caring for those people, those women, they stole from them. Can you see that, how bad that is? They said one thing, we love God, but they lived as if they hated God. And so Isaiah knew they were a people of unclean lips. The people were not holy. God is holy, 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 but the people were not. Well, how can we be like that? Well, perhaps you're someone who uh, is happy to come to church. Perhaps you like singing the songs. Perhaps you, you love seeing your friends. But then in the rest of the week, maybe you're not that interested in serving God at work or obeying your parents, or doing any of the other things that God says are good for us to do. That's not good, is it? That's not holy. And if we're honest with ourselves, we all know, don't we, we don't even live up to our own standards, let alone God's. We're not good, and we're not holy. You see, when Isaiah sees that in his own life and in the lives of the people around him, he realizes he's got a big problem. Because that puts him on a collision course with God. 
uh, there's a, an urban legend uh, that you may have heard before, but I think it's a really fun story, okay? It's a story about two uh, radio operators having a conversation over the radio. And the first speaker is aboard a large battleship, okay? Can you imagine this, a large battleship? The first speaker's there. Radioing the other party. Please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. The response comes back. Uh, recommend you divert your course 15 degrees. The first radio says, we are the Royal Navy. I say again, divert your course. Uh, I say again, divert your course. This is an aircraft carrier of the Royal Navy. We are the largest warship in the ocean. Divert your course now. We're a lighthouse. What is the point of that story? That sometimes we might be like that battleship. We think, we know best. Everybody else out of my way. But when it comes to God, we make a fatal mistake if we think he's going to get out of our way. If we think he's going to change what he cares about. Do we see that? We might think that we know best. But God is the one who is fixed. Who is good. Who is holy, holy, holy. And so we are the ones who need to change. Not him. But there's another problem related to that. Which is that we can't change. We can't change ourselves. And we see that in the way that Isaiah's situation changes. Let's have a look at how, uh, the, what happens next in the passage. We read that one of the seraphim, those amazing angels, flew to Isaiah with a live coal in his hand, uh, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched Isaiah's mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. You see, God wasn't going to change. It was Isaiah who needed to change, but Isaiah couldn't change himself. He needed God to intervene. He needed God to send that angel to make him holy, as it says, to have his guilt taken away and his sin atoned for. And friends, we're just the same, aren't we? We can't change ourselves to become holy we need God to do something to make us holy. And this is how the Apostle Paul puts it uh, in the book of Colossians. He writes this. When you were dead in your sins, dead people can't do much to change themselves, can they? When you were dead in your sins, what happened? Next slide, please. God made you alive with Christ. It's God that made us holy. It's God that made us alive. How does he do that? He says he forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Now, there's a lot of words in there, aren't there? So let me see if uh, I can help you to understand that a bit more with uh, an illustration. Imagine this is the list of my legal indebtedness, okay? Now, what that means is, imagine this is a list of all the things I've ever done wrong, all my sins, all the ways I have ever failed to be good like God is good. I if this really was that list, it would be a lot longer than this, I can tell you, okay? Now, imagine... Oh, no, let me explain something about how... Um, let me explain something about how crucifixion works, okay? Now, when... 
in Rome, they crucified somebody, they nailed them to the cross. What they would do is they would nail above their heads a plaque that had the reason that they were being crucified. Do you remember in the story, where the, in the Bible story that's true, where that happened to Jesus, what did it say? King of the Jews. That's the crime he was being killed for. That was nailed above his head. Well, what Paul is pointing to here is when Jesus dies on the cross, it's as if this list of my sin and your sin, if you put your trust in him, is nailed above Jesus' head and he is paying the price for it. Uh, One of our young leaders is going to come and help me out here. Here's my list. As I said, it's quite long. It's as if Jesus, it's as if when Jesus is dying on the cross, this is the list that was nailed above his head. Do you fancy nailing this to the cross for us? Just think about that. Imagine every wrong thing that you've ever done, that you ever will do, nailed to the cross. And when Jesus dies, he's paid the price for it. We could never do that, but he did it for us at the cross. What an amazing thing. God died to make us holy. Didn't find a way to secure it and make it not fall over. Thank you, Ian. Just think about that for a moment. That is what has happened to you. If you're a believer in Jesus, that's what's happened to you. Every wrong thing you've ever done, nailed to the cross. And it doesn't come back because Jesus died once for all. That is wonderful news. Uh, We have these all-age services, and it's easy to think they're for the children. What we pray is that they're for everyone. And that no matter how old we are, we never grow tired of knowing that we are forgiven. Even the sin of this week, nailed to the cross. Even the sin of this morning, nailed to the cross. Even the sin of tomorrow, nailed to the cross. You are forgiven in Jesus, by Jesus. You have been made holy. We are called God's holy people. You are holy this morning. You do not need to be guilty because you are not. You are forgiven. And whenever you struggle to believe that, look to the cross, what Jesus has done for you and for me. We're going to sing a song that celebrates that. Okay, well, what next for Isaiah? God has made him holy. Let's see what happens next in the next part of the the, uh, chapter. It says... I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? God has a mission. A mission to be accomplished. And who's going to go? Well, Isaiah says, doesn't he? Here I am. Send me. God has a mission for Isaiah who has been made holy. And he has a mission for us, those who have been made holy In our day, he has a mission for us to take the good news about Jesus and the fact that he can make us holy to Harpenden and to the ends of the earth. 
But how do we do that? That's a really important question, isn't it? How do we do this mission? Because you're not Isaiah, and I'm not Isaiah. But how are we, as God's people now, called to go on this mission? Well, we're going to look at the book of Colossians to see that. One verse up on here. Chapter 3, verse 12. And we've highlighted one word. Can you see the word? Holy. That's right. Let's look at it. Therefore, Paul is writing to Christians. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. We are this, holy and dearly loved. We are chosen by God. And we are to clothe ourselves with compassion. Clothe yourselves with compassion. Who here is wearing compassion this morning? Well, that's the kind of thought we're to be thinking as we think of these verses, as we read them. This morning, I'm pretty sure we can tell all of us put on clothes, right? You chose your clothes. Some, maybe some of us, they were selected for us. But most of us, we chose our clothes. I'll wear those socks. I'll put on that T-shirt. God says, as his people, as well as getting dressed with these sorts of clothes, we are to look in the wardrobe and think, I'm going to put on compassion. I'm going to wear kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And in the same way, wherever you go in the clothes you are, your clothes come with you. Those things are to come with us as God's people. We could summarize that by saying, how do we go on the mission? We live holy lives. God is all these things. And so we are to be too. It's a decision to live a holy life as those who have been made holy. That's the first thing. We live holy lives. And then in chapter 3, verse 16, just a few verses down, there's lots of words in here. I'm going to summarize it first. We live holy lives and we praise the holy God. Just have a look at what Paul encourages us to do. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. That is, know the good news of Jesus. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. And then the bit at the end, we can zoom in on. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Do you see that? We are to praise the holy God. We praise him as other people listen in. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We've been doing that already this morning. As those living holy lives, dressed in those things, we praise the holy God. Okay, so we carry out this mission by doing these two things, living holy lives, praising the holy God. And those two things are absolutely right and natural things for us to do if we've been made holy by God, aren't they? They're just right. They're just fitting. They're just good and natural things for us to do. Uh, not doing that would be really odd, wouldn't it? Really strange. Uh, and let me tell you a story uh, that might help kind of illustrate that idea. Uh, back in 1854, in London there was a terrible illness going around called cholera, okay? It killed uh, hundreds of people, uh, and once you got it, 50% of the people who got it would die within a day or two, okay? It was a really serious illness. But there was this guy, uh, oh, I'm sorry, and everyone thought at the time that the way you got this illness was through the stinky air that was in London, okay? They called it the miasma, all right? They thought that's what made you sick and get cholera. But there was this one guy called Dr. John Snow, and he had a different idea. He thought people got ill from cholera through drinking water that was bad water that was infected. And so when this 
cholera uh, epidemic broke out in an area called Broad Street in London, he went around and he made a map of where all the people who'd got sick had lived. And he realized that right in the middle of this map was a water pump. And he thought, I reckon that's where everyone's getting sick from, the water at that pump. And so he went and he got permission first. Okay, always ask permission first before you do things like this. He got permission first and he took the handle off the pump. So no one could use it anymore and no one could get sick. Now, how amazing is that? All those people in that area were terrified that they were going to get sick and die from this awful illness. And Jon Snow removed the handle from that pump so that they would all be okay. And people were okay. They stopped getting sick. They stopped getting ill. Now, imagine you'd been one of those people back then living on Broad Street. How would you respond to that? What would be the natural thing to do? Well, you'd talk about it, wouldn't you? All of your friends and neighbours have been dying for the last however many weeks, and now suddenly it had stopped just because this guy took the handle off the water pump. you talk about that. And you talk about it to your friends, and you talk about it if you saw Jon Snow. You'd say, oh, thank you so much, Jon. Really appreciate what you've done. What you wouldn't do is just carry on life as if nothing had ever happened and... and, and, and he hadn't done that amazing thing. You wouldn't do that, would you? That would be a crazy thing to do. And here's the other thing you wouldn't do. You absolutely would not go and try and get a pump handle and go, ah, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. We can drink water from there again. We'll be fine. You just wouldn't do that. Well, in a similar way, as people who have been made holy by God, it would be crazy, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? For us to carry on living lives that we know God hates and for us to not talk about that at all what he's done for us that amazing thing now it's really important if we're going to be successful on our mission to do both of those things to live holy lives and to talk about the holy God let's have a think what happens if we only do one of those things but not the other Let's think about the first one. Let's say we didn't live holy lives, all right? So imagine um, I'm not living a holy life, not getting dressed in those things, but I do talk about God. And let's imagine Ian is a friend of mine, but he's not, uh, he doesn't follow Jesus. He's not from church, okay? So he knows me, not living a holy life, although I do talk about God. Let's, let's just hear what Ian has to say about his friend Gareth. That Gareth, he's always talking about this loving God whom he worships. Bit weird though. Gareth himself is actually quite mean a lot of the time. Can you hear that? What does that say about the holy God if we don't live holy lives? Do we think Ian is likely to say, Oh, I'll come to church? All right, let's flip it round. What if I was living a holy life but never spoke about God? Let's see what, uh, hear what Ian has to think about that. <laughs> that Gareth, he is such a great guy. So kind, so thoughtful. Do you know once, I asked him why, and do you know what he said? Nothing. He just smiled, he looked a bit awkward, changed the conversation. Do you see how Ian's also not going to come to church then? He doesn't know about God. It's really important that we do both of those things, live holy lives and praise the holy God. Those two things can come together. And we can encourage that in each other as we see that. It's not easy, is it? 
It's not easy to say, oh, yeah, yesterday, yeah, I was at church. In the morning, I had, I had a good time. It's not easy to decide to be compassionate to someone in class who's a bit annoying. But together, with God's help, we can do those sorts of things. Okay. Well, we've seen a lot this morning, haven't we? Uh, Gareth, quick summary. What have we seen? <laughs> okay. Where do we start? We start to think about a scary world. The world is very scary. What do we need in a scary world? We need a vision of God who is holy, holy, holy. And because he is holy, he is great. And everything in creation points to his glory from the tiniest fingertip to the vastest ocean. And God is holy because he is good. He is perfect. And actually, in the first instance, that's bad news for us because we are those who are not holy. We have said one thing, but we have done another. And we need to be changed. We need to be saved from being not holy. And we've seen, haven't we, that Jesus died on the cross to pay for all of the unholy things we've done so that we can be holy in God's sight. We are those on mission now to live holy lives and praise the holy God. And if we do that, we might well be a blessing to the town around us and beyond. Uh, well, as the musicians come up, we're now going to sing a song that reminds us about how God is bigger. Isaiah saw this enormous vision of God, bigger than he could even understand. That is the God we worship today. And because God is that big and that great, we can have hope that he is going to work in us. So please stand and let's sing this song together.